Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, I sound a little bit better, I hope. Yeah. Thank you. A little bit. I feel a little bit better. Hopefully nobody gets sick over the next two plus weeks. Yeah. Because we, we're closing in on opening day. We've kind of had a bad stretch here yeah. over the last, what? Month and a half or so. Now is the I time. Was sick for a while, you were sick for a little bit. Yeah, but now is the time. I mean, yeah, we gotta make sure that we get this out of our system before we get to opening day, which is right. two weeks from tomorrow. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's tough to hear. Yeah, but there's so much to be done for opening day, including painting the foul poles, which we yeah. just saw outside the window here. That that seems like a stressful job. I I don't know how much you would have to pay me to go up that high. To paint a foul. Yeah, with that much yellow paint. I mean... And as much wind as we've had the last few as days. As much wind. Good point. Yeah. Could get blown off. Precarious. Yeah, let's hope the best for those people that are painting the foul poles. Yeah. And getting all the things ready for opening day. Of course, the Orioles open on the road, so they won't be home for another week. But still, a lot to be done before we get there. Brendan, this is uh, March Madness week, the beginning of it. We already had a couple play-in games and uh, the tournament begins in earnest on Thursday. Yeah. And so I figured now's the time to put to rest our free agency bracket. Oh, I thought you were going to say now's the time to finally conclude that Syracuse may not be making the tournament. And yeah, no, I don't I don't think they're going to make it. Yeah. Unless somebody gets bumped at the last minute. It's not looking good right now. Yeah. That's for sure. I would say, yeah. <laughs> Once your name's not called on Selection Sunday, I think you kind of missed. Um, now's a good time to look at our free agency bracket that we made months ago. Almost, almost everybody is gone. Yeah. 30 of the 32, I believe, are gone. Yeah, what's what's Gary Sanchez doing? What is Gary Sanchez doing? Robinson Chirinos and Gary Sanchez are the only two players left on this bracket. Brendan, I mean, Chirinos is still out there. I mentioned him as a possibility as a Orioles third catcher. But other than that, they're not signing Gary Sanchez. I don't know how Gary Sanchez has gone unsigned this long. Yeah. Now he's playing in the World Baseball Classic. I, I, I don't really know. I feel like he's good enough to be an opening day catcher for somebody. Yeah, you would think. And yet. And yet. There he is. Yeah. Well, that just uh, that does it for our free agency bracket. Say goodbye. Didn't look great. I mean, Adam Frazier the, was the one seed in the middle infield bracket. And he made it to the Elite Eight. Yep. And then was bumped by Joey Wendell, who <laughs> wasn't a free agent. Uh, and our final four, Orioles didn't get any of those guys. Kirk Casale, they traded for James McCann instead. Jock Peterson, he was gone before free agency even really started, signing his qualifying offer. Wendell wasn't a free agent. And Jamison Tyone signed a big deal with the Rangers. Where did Jamison Tyone end up? Cubs? Cubs. Not yeah. the Rangers. I feel like the Rangers One signed... Of those blue and red teams. The Rangers signed a bunch of pitchers. This, this they week. signed pretty much everybody. Yeah, but they did not sign Jamison Tyone. Yeah. But uh, that that's it for our bracket. Goodbye. Sing a song. Yeah, hopefully the, the next one will be better. One shining moment. That was great. Do that? Okay. Yeah, moving right along. Don't get hit by that, uh, that copyright infringement. <laughs> uh, we are going to discuss on this podcast how Mike Elias has fared in trades since he took over in 2018, November 2018. So, he didn't wasn't there for the bulk of the Orioles' flyer sale that they made at the trade deadline that included the Manny Machado, Zach Britton, Darren O'Day, Kevin Gosman, those trades. But he was here for a lot of major trades. So we are going to discuss those in earnest. But first, Brendan, spring training update. And that is that nothing Nothing. We have nothing. We don't have one. We we know as much now about the Baltimore Orioles, I feel like, as we did three weeks ago when they reported for camp. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a sense that's a good thing because there haven't been any major injuries. So it's not like we have anything major to report with somebody not being in the rotation or somebody not being ready for opening day, whatever it might be. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, really, the only injury updates that we've had are that D.L. Hall may not be 
ready for that opening day rotation competition. And Taron Vavra has been out for a little bit, but he seems like he's going to be fine for opening day. Those are your two biggest injury updates. You're in pretty good shape. But we have no idea who the opening day starter is going to be. There hasn't really been any movement in terms of camp competitions because there weren't any really fierce ones. As soon as Dylan Tate went down to start the year on the injured list, I suppose he's probably the biggest injury update. As soon as he went down, starts the year on the injury list, there's not as much of a bullpen question about who's going to make the bullpen. Yeah. So not a ton of updates. I mean, maybe there is some discussion like Keegan Aiken, as we thought was going to be a lock for this bullpen, especially when Tate went down. Now he's, more solidified himself. Like you said, Vavra has more solidified himself. The The best storyline so far and the biggest storyline has been how good the young prospects have looked. But now we're starting to see the camp roster whittle down a little bit. Prospects like Jackson Holiday, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby are sent to the minor league camp. So we're now getting to the final stages here. And I, I think maybe the you have the interest with the first base competition because Ryan O'Hearn and Lewin Diaz and Franchi Cordero, those guys have all looked very good yeah. in camp so far. But have they looked better than Taron Vavra? Is it worth bumping Taron Vavra back to the minors for one of these guys? That's still a conversation that we're having that we also had three weeks ago. And the opening day starter competition is the same. It's unchanged. Right. We don't have any idea. These guys have barely pitched. I mean, Kyle Gibson's thrown nine innings. Cole Irvin's thrown five. He's going to pitch again tomorrow, I believe. Kyle Bradish has thrown nine innings, and Dean Kramer threw five, and now he's in the World Baseball Classic. We have no idea who the opening day starter is going to be. And not just that, but they all have, like, the same stats. Yeah. Like, Kyle Gibson and Kyle Bradish have both thrown nine innings. They both have an ERA of two. Yeah. Kyle Bradish has struck out a lot more guys than Gibson. He has 12 Ks in nine innings. Kyle Gibson has six Ks. But identical ERAs. And then you have Cole Irvin and Dean Kramer, who have... Each pitched five innings and both have a 180 ERA. Yeah, who's to say? They, they've all done pretty much the same thing. Yeah, and, and they're all probably going to make the rotation. And Grayson Rodriguez, of course, will be the fifth spot. But what order they get lined up in, we just have no idea. So hopefully nope. we have more of an idea of that next week, Brendan. Yeah, I, I my money would still be on Gibson or Irvin. Yeah. I think those are the two guys with the highest percent chance of being the opening day starter in Texas. But... Or, excuse me, in Boston? In Boston, yeah. But, I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss-up between those two. Look, we also make the graphics and send out the tweets from at Mass and Orioles, and uh, I made five graphics of opening day starter to get ready. I mean, I have, you know, four of those won't see the light of day. Hopefully it's not, hopefully it is one of those five guys, and Austin both doesn't get, like, the start for opening day, and then we're scrambling, making a graphic. Malone. Yeah, (laughs) he's coming back, baby. That's a good uh, transition. We're going to talk about the Tommy Malone trade. We're going to talk about the important trades that Mike Elias has made over his tenure, and we're going to hand out some grades. But before we get into the important ones, Brendan, here are all the non-important trades that we're not going to discuss. We're going to give it lip service right now, and that's going to be it. Are you ready? I'm ready. There's a long list. Hopefully I can get through this pretty quickly. We're not going to be discussing the Bravik Valera trade, the Lennon for Cash, Cash for Lennon Rodriguez, Cash for Dwight Smith Jr., Cash for Xavier Moore, although Xavier Moore has looked good in in Aberdeen last year as a righty. Not going to talk about trading Andrew Susak for cash. What? Mike Wright for Ryan Ogren. Come on. Jeffrey Ramirez for a player to be named later. Why not? Keon Broxton for for cash. Patrick Dorian acquiring him. Trading for Thomas Eshelman. Trading Dan Straley for cash. Trading for Yeltsin Gudino. Huh? <laughs> Hector Velasquez for a player to be named later. Sean Armstrong for cash. Cash for Connor Loprick. Loprick? Yeah, you're making stuff up now. Yeah. I, I don't know if these people Trade exist. for Miguel Padilla. Uh, cash for Adam Plucko. It was pretty good. Miguel Padilla? No, Adam Plucko. Oh, Plucko, yeah. We're yeah, not, not going to be talking talk about, about it. it. Yeah, for a month he was yeah. good. Uh, Taylor Davis for Jose Barroa. Cash for Hugo Beltron. Cash for Kelvin Gutierrez. He was pretty good. He was good for a tiny, tiny sample size. Yeah. Uh, trade of Mason McCoy. Paul Fry for Luis Osor- Osorio. Paul Fry, remember him? Yeah. He was good. Patrick Dorian for Cash and the trade of Cody Sedlock. Whew. Yeah. A lot of those things, I was looking at the transaction sheet, and it just said, Orioles traded this guy. It didn't say for what. Not yeah. even cash. It just said they traded him. and uh, Or the Orioles just acquired him for, for nothing. So I have no idea what, what was going back the other way. Yeah. A lot of those deals, we are just... I wonder if we had Mike Elias on this podcast, and we quizzed him 
of like, hey, what'd you get for Yeltsin Godino? Or what'd you give up for, uh, you know, for Miguel Padilla? Do you think he'd know? I, probably, yeah. Off the top of his head? I'd, probably. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, the, I think the only one on that list that I'll briefly say is that the Orioles kind of missed their chance to trade Paul Fry for something better than what they got. True. Paul Fry had some solid production in Baltimore, but they waited a bit too long to move him. And then he just wasn't really worth much on the open market. So that's that's the only one that I'll briefly mention. But other than that, we can move on. Yeah. So Michael Elias took over in 2018. He didn't make his first trade until 2019, Brendan. And the first deal that we're going to discuss was a doozy, unfortunately. The worst one. That was the trade of Mike Yastrzemski to the San Francisco Giants for righty Tyler Erb. Now, Yastrzemski was a career minor leaguer with the Orioles, Seemed like a very minor move, pun intended at the time. And unfortunately, Yastrzemski has accumulated 9.6 war in four seasons for the Giants. He had a bit of a down year last year, but he had a very good four-year stretch. Yeah, he's he's a good player. Tyler, Tyler Erb hasn't pitched for the Orioles. I will say, I, I think it's slightly funny that we are going to be talking about both a Tyler Erb and a Tyler Birch. Those are just... Two funny names. The, all these names, I get confused as well. Yeah. I, uh, like, I mix and match them all in my head. Anyway, you can make the case that I would strongly disagree with that, you know, Mike Yastrzemski was just a career minor leaguer. There was no telling that he would turn into the kind of player that he turned into in San Francisco. Like, you traded a minor leaguer for a pitcher that you took a flyer on, and Mike Elias shouldn't get blamed for that. But also, it's their job to evaluate the talent. Right. It's their job to evaluate the minor leaguers that they have in-house and determine who they think could potentially be big leaguers. And obviously, this is a big miss in talent evaluation. This is one of those deals that I'm sure when he made it, Michael Elias thought would have ended up in the first category of trades that I was running through and not even exactly. giving much lip service to because it seemed like such a small deal. And yet, uh, it unfortunately came back to bite them. All right, well, it's all uphill from here. Yeah, well, that one gets a grade of an F it for does. me if we're, if we're grading these trades. Uh, it's all uphill from here. Andrew Kashner was the next major trade here. Yep. They sent Andrew Kashner to the Red Sox in mid-July of 2019 for young, recent international signees, Elio Prado, who's an outfielder, and infielder Nolberth Romero. Kashner had a very solid 17 starts for the Orioles that year in his second year with the O's. He was a veteran presence in that clubhouse. Looked like a solid trade piece. The Orioles cashed in, and then he was absolutely disastrous for the Red Sox after that deal. Yeah, he was terrible. He had a 620 ERA in Boston, and he's been out of Major League Baseball since. Since? That's crazy. So he was not very good after the Orioles trade. I mean, with Elio Prado and, and Nolberth Romero... You don't really know what you're getting with those guys yet. Prado had a 587 OPS in Delmarva last year. Romero had a 634 OPS in Delmarva last year. They're both very young, entering their age 21 seasons. This trade is hard to fully evaluate because we don't know what those two guys can be from what we've seen so far. It doesn't seem like they're going to be you know huge big league factors or anything like that. But you moved Andrew Kashner, who was fine in Baltimore. He was really bad once he got to Boston. So I gave this like a B plus. Yeah. You don't really know what you're going to get out of Prado and Romero, but you moved on from the contract, which wasn't all that great. And that was a lot of what Michael Elias was doing when he first got to Baltimore was moving on from contracts that just weren't really working out. I gave it an A minus just because of how much Kashner struggled in Boston. Yeah. And the fact that if the Orioles had kept him, their rotation would have been worse. Now, maybe the Orioles would have done better with him, as was evidenced by the first 17 starts. But the fact that they still have Prado and Romero in their system, entering their age 21 seasons, like you said, and Kashner's out of baseball, Seems it's, like a, a win. it's not a not a big win, but it is it is still a win. You come yeah. out on the positive side of that one. Right. Uh, next up, Brendan, in 2019, this is after the season ended. This was a blockbuster, and maybe. Maybe the best trade of the Michael Elias era. And that was sending Dylan Bundy to the LA Angels in exchange for four players. Isaac Matson, Kyle Brinovich, Kyle Bradish, and Zach Peak. Yep. They trade Bundy, who had eleven good starts 
with the Angels in 2020, then reverted after that, and they get back a reliever in Matson, who is now no longer with the Orioles and is now out of baseball, unfortunately. Kyle Brinovich, who made two starts for Norfolk last year and unfortunately was shut down with Tommy John. Zach Peek, who was shut down with Tommy John, although he looked good in 11 starts in Bowie in 2022. And then they got the best piece of this deal, which is Kyle Bradish. Yeah, as you mentioned, Bundy, ERA ran around 470 in his years in Baltimore from 2016 to 2019. He goes to L.A., has the shortened season in 2020 where he looks excellent with a 329 ERA, finishes top 10 in Cy Young voting, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Did the Orioles just trade a guy who they weren't able to unlock, and now all of a sudden he goes to the Angels, figures something out, and becomes the pitcher that the Orioles hoped that he could be when they drafted him so high in the draft. Then, as you mentioned, he reverts ERA up over six, signs with the Twins, gets bought out. Now he's a free agent. So not a solid stretch for Dylan Bundy after that 2020 season. And in return, they get two guys who unfortunately had Tommy John but have pretty good upside in Peak and Brinovich. They're two kind of fringe top 30 prospects, you know, yeah. probably somewhere in the 30 to 40 range if we were looking at the Orioles system as a whole. And then they get Kyle Bradish, who the Orioles are hoping is going to be a rotation piece down the line. Had some really great flashes last year, even though the ERA wasn't great. So you could look at this trade if it was just Bundy for Bradish, and it would feel like a win. Yeah. But the fact that you have two more guys in Peak and Brinovich that have shown some potential in the minor leagues, I, I gave it an A. There are going to be a lot of trades we're going to discuss where our initial evaluations were way off. I remember at the time saying, the fact they got four players for Dylan Bundy is massive. And yeah. it ended up being so. I mean, even if... Peek and Brinovich don't turn out to be big leaguers. The fact that you got Bradish by himself, like you said, Brendan, is a win. And the Angels got what they wanted out of this deal. They got that solid 2020 stretch from Bundy, but the Orioles got a lot more in the long term. And that's why it was a smart move at the time, and it looks like a good one now. And I think it's penance, Brendan, that we're doing this podcast after last week we didn't ascribe the Kyle Bradish acquisition to Michael Elias. Yeah. You you said it that and was I a big miss. You said it and I didn't correct you. I should have corrected you when you essentially said that Michael Elias didn't acquire Kyle Bradish, but he 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 did. Yeah. He quite frankly did. Yeah. It was his second <laughs> trade. I th I thought it was a Duquette trade. I was wrong. Yeah. But great deal. Yeah. I and mean, that's a, that's an A minus to me. I yeah, I gave or it an a, a solid A. Yeah. I think it's a good deal. It's a, it's a great one in the long term. All right, Brendan. Shortly after that, Michael Elias sent another veteran to the Miami Marlins. That was Jonathan VR in exchange for lefty Easton Lucas. Now, VR had only had 30 games with the Marlins because it was 2020, and he was traded midseason to Toronto. Lucas, meanwhile, has struggled since he came over to the Orioles system. 4.76 ERA as a reliever last year in Bowie, then made 10 appearances in the Arizona Fall League. This one doesn't grade out nearly as well as the previous one. No, I gave this trade a D. I know that Jonathan VR wasn't incredibly productive after the Orioles traded him, but if you look at 2019, VR played all 162 games with an OPS just under 800. He stole 40 bases and hit 24 home runs. And I'm not saying that Jonathan VR was a perfect player in Baltimore. He had holes in his game. He wasn't awesome defensively. But that's still a very productive player who played every single game of the 2019 season. And in return, you get a pitcher in Easton Lucas who has continuously struggled in the minor leagues, doesn't seem to have any sort of big league outlook. So I look at this from two sides. First side being, if you have a player who steals 40 bases with an OPS close to 800, it seems like you should get somebody in return who was a little bit better than what we've seen so far from Easton Lucas in his minor league career in Baltimore. And two, if you're not really going to get anything big in return, why not just hold on to VR if the return is not great and you continue to have a player who's going to be very productive in your lineup? I mean, they could have used VR in 2020. I'm not saying that VR would have a place on this team right now. I'm not saying he would have been a future piece. But he's still a productive player who could have hung around for the 2020 season, you know, played some shortstop with Jose Iglesias going down, played some second base wherever you needed him. That's a productive player that you gave up and didn't really get much in return. The thing that was 
going against the Orioles in this deal was that VR was arbitration eligible and was due a pretty large pay increase. The projections, according to MLB trade rumors at the time, had it over $10 million, I remember, just for the 2020 season. The Orioles didn't want to pay him that, and he ended up settling with the Marlins, I believe, for a little over $8 million, like $8.5 million that season. And the Orioles just didn't think that VR was worth that amount of money. Which was probably an accurate assessment. It probably was. I think they would have liked to get more, obviously, than Easton Lucas, but I think they made the evaluation that then was the time to trade Jonathan VR, especially because I think he was going to, he was heading into free agency as well. Yeah, he was. It was the final year before he hit free agency. Now, maybe if they had hold, held on to him and tried to deal him at the deadline, which ended up being a month later than, you know, it would have been otherwise, they could have gotten up back a little bit more because that's what the Marlins did. They traded him to the Blue Jays and got back Griffin Conine, who yep. was. Another prospect, although hasn't turned into a whole lot. No, but at, at the time, had big league potential. Still does have big league potential. He hasn't been great in his minor league career. He's just a, a power-hitting corner outfielder. But Son of Jeff Conine. Right. It, it's tough. I don't think MLB values a type of player like Jonathan VR as much as they might have 10 or 15 years ago because VR does, didn't walk a whole lot. Yes, he stole a lot of bases, but... That wasn't as valued, and maybe it'll be more valued now that the bases are bigger and the pickoff rules are changed, but he brought a good amount to that 2019 team, but it's clear the Orioles made the decision to move on from him, Yeah, considering how much extra he was going to get in arbitration. Contract-wise, moving VR made sense, and I'm not knocking trading VR, but I think you could have gotten something better in return for a player who was really productive and stayed healthy and played all 162 games for you the year before. Yeah, it's just interesting because of the timing of the VR trade and the Bundy trade. I remember thinking the Orioles got so much for Bundy, and then it felt like they didn't get quite as much as they should have for VR at the time, and that's what it ended up being. Right. Uh, All right, then you turn the calendar into the new year. You're going into 2020 before the world gets shut down. Actually, after the world gets shut down, they start making moves. Yeah. Do you remember uh, when the Richard Blyer deal went down in 2020? I try to s- forget that general part. I think, of yeah, I think life, we all have kind of yeah. blacked out that that whole part of it. But do you remember the circumstances for the Richard Blyer trade? It, kind of. But let's run through a refresher, Paul. Sure. As well, you bring it up. The, the Marlins had a COVID outbreak in yes. the first week of the season, and they lost like half their team to the COVID IL. At the time, they were so desperate for players that they were just trading whatever they had for pitchers. And the Orioles sent Richard Blyer to the Marlins in a desperation move, desperation from the Marlins side, for a player to be named later. Now, this was difficult because if you recall with 2020, so many things going on in 2020, the nobody who is not at the alternate site could be traded. So, Everybody was just a player. Wow, this is bringing back so many things I right? tried to forget about. Yeah. So, whew, unless the, the prospect was at the alternate site, and there were like 60 guys at each team's alternate site, yeah, they couldn't be named in a trade. So they'd be on a list, That's right. and they'd be a player to be named later, but it wasn't until after the season that they were actually named. So Richard Blyer was traded for a player to be named later, who ended up becoming Isaac DeLeon. Now, Blyer has actually had quality couple seasons since the Orioles made that move. He's had a 316 ERA in two and a half seasons for the Marlins, become a, a solid lefty like he was in Baltimore, but doing so in Miami. Isaac DeLeon now entering his age 21 season had a 713 OPS between Delmarva and Aberdeen in 2022. Well, look, Blyer was better in Baltimore than he was in Miami. He had a 315 ERA in four seasons in Baltimore and a 316 ERA in two seasons in Miami. That's called nitpicking. So, you know, (laughs) which side got the better deal there? Yeah, I gave this trade a C. I mean, as you mentioned, Richard Blyer has a pretty solid few years in Miami after that trade. Isaac DeLeon, hard to tell, again, what he's really going to turn into. Had a 713 OPS in his age 20 season between Delmarva and Aberdeen, which is pretty good for somebody in their age 20 season. So maybe somebody to look at there in De Leon, but you gave up a productive reliever to get him. Yeah. So I give it a C. Yeah. That this one doesn't grade out quite as well. 
again because yeah. Flyer's been good. Right. I mean, he's been exactly what the Marlins have hoped he was he would be. Quality lefty out of their pen. I mean, I guess you could call it a win win because De Leon was solid in his age twenty season, but I don't know. I'd, I'd probably rather have a solid big really big league reliever. Than yeah, Isaac De Leon at this point. Yeah, there's still a lot of steps for De, De Leon just to get to the big leagues. Right. So you may have traded a, an actual big leaguer for somebody who may not make the big leagues. All right, next up, Brendan. Yeah, the actual best trade of the Michael Elias era. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you dubbed it that at the time. Yeah, because it's awesome. It was Tommy Malone. Opening day starter Tommy Malone. Our hero, Tommy Malone. For A.J. Graffinino and Greg Cullen. Paul, this trade gets an A. (laughs) And I don't care that A.J. Graffinino and Greg Cullen may not be big leaguers. Graffinino is no longer in the organization, so he won't be a big leaguer with Baltimore. Greg Cullen, I mean, he was good in Norfolk last year. 868 OPS in 28 games in Norfolk in his age 25 season. He might not be a big leaguer of significance, but those are pretty good numbers at an upper level of the minor leagues. Tommy Malone was your opening day starter who pitched a grand total of six games in Baltimore with a decent ERA. I mean, the 399 ERA in those six games. You flip him at the deadline in his age 33 season. He's got a career ERA of 460. That's a Michael Elias masterclass. (laughs) And it gets an A. I'm so, it just does. Tommy Malone was Michael Elias's Valentine's Day gift to us all. I believe he was signed on February 14th yeah. to a minor league deal and ends up being their opening day starter. And boy, things were getting crazy. And also my hero is what you keep forgetting to mention. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Your, your hero, Tommy Malone. Thank I forgot you. about the tattoo you have. Yeah. People were getting, and teams were getting crazy with some of these trades, if you recall. In 2020, I mean, teams were so desperate because of the COVID IL and because there was a 60-game season that they were just throwing prospects out there. Look, I can't give this trade an A, Brendan. You should because it's a master class. Because Graffinino's not in the org and because Greg Cullen is probably not, almost definitely not going to be a big leaguer. Details. It's an A. (laughs) It's a master class. I mean, it's it's a win on paper. I just wish they got something. It might even be an A+. They could have... It's funny because... They could have traded him for cash, and I thought that would have made a, lo- a whole lot more sense than two prospects coming to the Orioles. Yeah, but you traded him for two prospects, which is objectively awesome. <laughs> it it I gets mean, an A. It, it worked out. They got something for him, but I don't think we're ever going to see Greg Cullen in Baltimore. I could be wrong. I mean, look, an 868 OPS in just under 30 games in Norfolk in your age 25 season, that's not bad. No, but he's he was bouncing back and forth between. Yeah, he's, he's not all in Norfolk. He's going to be a floater. Like, he might be somebody if, you know, if somebody at the big leagues gets hurt and they really need a middle infielder or something like that, maybe it's very uh, cool. I, I doubt it. There are so many other guys he's ahead good, of him. He's good minor league depth. He's minor league and depth. And you've got him for six games of Tommy Malone. Yeah. Masterclass. A. A+. plus. All right. All right. A++. plus plus. All right. Uh, next up, Miguel Castro to the New York Mets for lefty Kevin Smith. And recent international signee, shortstop Victor Gonzalez. Not a masterclass. Less of a masterclass. This one, I believe we heard about after the deal was done, after the 4 o'clock deadline that day. It came in, like, right under the under the gun, and then we heard about it 5, 10 minutes after the deadline had passed. Castro, now entering his age 28 season, had a 3.52 ERA in about 80 appearances for the Mets between 2020 and 2021. Uh, Kevin Smith, meanwhile, came in as the Orioles' number 12 prospect and really struggled this past year. 6-2-3 ERA in 16 games in 2021. Then last year, a five six sorry a 4-6-6 ERA in 19 games for Norfolk. And we talked about him on our podcast last week about how he kind of fell off the map, disappeared a little bit. No longer in the Orioles' top 30. Was down in Bowie for a short time, not pitching. I wish Kevin Smith had turned into more, and maybe he still will because he's only 26. But right now, the Orioles gave up a reliever, a big league reliever in Miguel Castro and didn't get back a whole lot. Yeah, he's only 26, but also he's 26, and he hasn't put up good numbers at AAA Norfolk. (laughs) I I know there's still time, but if you're a 26-year-old former top 30 prospect who was in the top 15 
at one point. He was, I believe, the Mets' number 12 prospect when this trade happened. You need to start seeing some quality numbers at AAA Norfolk, and we can't, like, lose track of you last season. Like, that, yeah, that is kind of emblematic of what Kevin Smith has shown so far in Baltimore. And with Miguel Castro, it's kind of just surprising that the Orioles weren't able to tap into his potential because he seems like the exact kind of reliever that the Orioles have been able to make the most of over the last few years. I mean, he seems like, I'm not saying he is as good, but he seems like a Felix Bautista type of pitcher where the stuff is so nasty, where if you can get the command under control and you can work on some mechanics and you can get walk numbers down and you can do this and that, it seems like Miguel Castro should have been a really good reliever in Baltimore, and he just never really turned into that. There's a list of guys that I would like to see under this current coaching staff because, remember, Brandon Hyde didn't have the exact coaching staff that he wanted when he first started because right. he was hired so late in the, the hiring process in the year. He wasn't hired until winter meetings, after winter meetings 2018, put together his staff, and now we're seeing, with Chris Holt as your director of pitching and your pitching coach, we're seeing some incredible stuff and development from so many guys like Felix Bautista, like CNL Perez, that frankly we didn't see in the first couple of years under Brandon Hyde. We saw a lot of guys that we thought might take a jump because of the analytics that they were being exposed to, because of the new coaching staff. We thought like guys like Dylan Bundy and Alex Cobb, and in this case Miguel Castro, would have taken a leap. I wonder if they had had a chance to be exposed to this coaching staff, yeah. if Miguel Castro would have had a better turnaround. But he didn't. And the Orioles cut bait with him at the time. It's it's frustrating to look back because that is a guy that I don't think he got away. I mean, he wasn't great last year for the Yankees. Yeah, I, I will say if there is another team in baseball that has been known for taking kind of no-name relievers and turning them into really, really good pieces, it's been the New York Yankees. We've seen them and acquire the t- guys. Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and, I mean, and the Rays. But, like, we've seen the Yankees take guys like Clay Holmes, who they got for nothing, and turn him into one of the better relievers in baseball. And Miguel Castro was not good with the Yankees last year, had an ERA over four. So maybe it's just not there for Miguel Castro because other guys have succeeded with the Yankees given a similar kind of pedigree and Castro wasn't able to do that. But I still think there's a chance that if Castro's in Baltimore, rather than Kevin Smith, he turns into a much more productive reliever. And then the other part of this deal, Victor Gonzalez is now entering his age 20 season, appeared in just 17 games in the Dominican Summer League. Yeah, this deal, unfortunately, I thought was going to be more of a win at this point in uh, both Castro and... Um, Smith's career and frankly at the time I remember being very surprised because of the age of Miguel Castro right we, you, you, the next deal we're going to talk about Miguel, Michael Gibbons was a little bit older and closer to free agency and I thought the Orioles wouldn't make a move like this for Castro at age 25 if they really didn't think he could be a piece you know right. if they really thought he's really going to fall apart because he's only 25. And if Kevin Smith turned into a Kyle Bradish, then we're talking about this as an absolute win yeah. of and, a trade. And both those guys enter the organization in similar standing. Yeah, I mean, Bradish, even lower on the prospect list, eventually worked his way into the top 10 or top 15. But Yeah, I believe at one point Bradish was 10th. Yeah, so both those guys had the potential, and that just shows you how difficult it is to develop these guys and to pick them out. Uh, next up, the... Michael Gibbons trade, Brendan, to Colorado, in which case the Orioles got back uh, Tyler Nevin, Taron Vavra, and a player to be named. This is a deal that, uh, the, and the player to be named ended up being Michelle Desson. This is a deal that is still, is fascinating because the Orioles ended up bringing back Michael Gibbons right. this year. And Gibbons has been solid over the last couple seasons, not just for Colorado, but for the Mets as well. Tyler Nevin's not out, not in the organization anymore. Taron Vavra still is a question mark here. Yep. And I think the development of Taron Vavra will tell the tale of whether this was a good deal or not. Yeah, Givens, as you mentioned, was good in Baltimore, a 3.32 ERA in six seasons. He's been on four different teams since, pretty much solid everywhere, I think, except for the Mets. The Mets were yeah, he's, his he's worst struggled. numbers there, but he was good in Colorado. He was good in Chicago. So he's kind of been good wherever he's gone. And now he's back in Baltimore, which is kind of fun. 
Taryn Vavra is the big question mark, and we will see what Taryn Vavra gives you this year that could turn this trade from, you know, I have it at a B right now. That could be an A if Taryn Vavra turns into the solid utility player that we are hoping Taryn Vavra can be. Yeah. I'm not looking at Vavra as your everyday future starter at second base, but if he can give you more of what he gave you last year, which was no PS close to 700, solid defense at different places around the diamonds, a really good on base percentage, that's a valuable player to have. And if it took giving up four, you know, a few years of Michael Givens here, where you get him back ultimately. Yeah, two and a half years. That's yeah. well worth the price yeah. of not having two and a half years of Michael Givens where you would have needed to pay him more money as he was entering free agency, whatever the scenario may be. If you got a solid utility player out of it, that's a win. Yeah, and you no, need not look far to see Taron Vavra's ceiling. I think it's Adam Frazier. You know, right. that is his ceiling, but his floor is a, a non-impactful player. Somebody who doesn't impact the game. Yes, he can walk a lot. Yes, he can play solid defense at second and in the outfield. But he needs to show that he can be a little bit more than that and be a great contact hitter in order to establish himself. Yeah, and I know that Tyler Nevin didn't work out, but I think you'd still kind of consider that a win in that trade. Tyler Nevin, at the very least, was good minor league depth. He was able to put up some great numbers in AAA Norfolk. He wasn't great. In the big leagues, I mean, a 560 OPS in 58 games for the Orioles last year. But, again, he gave you some depth. He gave you some occasional pop. He wasn't awesome, but you still get two big leaguers out of this deal. Yeah. And that feels like a win. All right, next up, Jose Iglesias to the Angels. Orioles love making deals with the Angels. For Garrett Stallings and Gene Pinto, two righties. Now, Iglesias had, remember, that incredible stretch with the Orioles in 2020. Yeah, he had... Over 370. Yeah. Orioles parlay that into two prospects. They picked up his option right before the deadline and then were able to deal him. Another deal with the Angels that I think the Orioles ended up on the better side of. Yeah, better side of, but it's still not a great deal given the return. Iglesias, as you mentioned, has that 956 OPS in 39 games for the O's in 2020. He was bad for the Angels for a little while and then goes to the Red Sox, I think, in September of that year and is excellent down the stretch, helps them make the playoffs, but isn't able to play on their playoff roster. Not bad for the Rockies this season. I think he had a war over one this year. In return, though, you get Garrett Stallings, who was briefly in the Orioles' top 30, but had a 6.28 ERA in Bowie last year. Then you get Gene Pinto, who was pretty good in Aberdeen, had a 3.83 ERA, but from what we've heard from Steve Molesky, who knows you know all the ins and outs of the Orioles' minor league system, he has kind of said that based on what he has heard, given Gene Pinto's tools and the fact, you know, he's a smaller guy, he doesn't really have overwhelming stuff, he doesn't really profile as a big league type of pitcher. So if Stallings continues to struggle in the minors and Gene Pinto kind of has a ceiling that doesn't really profile as a big leaguer, then you didn't really get much of a return for Jose Iglesias you know, it wasn't a great fit in Baltimore for Iglesias, given the rising talent. You you know, you would have Jorge Mateo eventually come in a year later, things like that. So Iglesias wasn't an awesome fit, but you didn't really get much in return. You didn't. He really was pretty bad in the short, less than a season sample size for the Angels, though. Yeah. Negative 1.1 war. Yeah. So he was not good. That was not good. And like you said, yes, he was, he was uh, you know, good on the Red Sox for that final month plus into the postseason, but it's not like the Angels were happy with this deal by any stretch. So, I mean, to to me, I would probably give this a B minus, maybe. Would you go into the C range? Yeah, I gave it a C just because you didn't really get anything back. And I mean, the only thing that really changed here is that you go from having Jose Iglesias as your shortstop to having Freddie Galvis as your shortstop. So you kind of just copy-pasted for the next year. Those yeah. are two very similar players. I'm not ready to close the book on Pinto yet. Yeah. I know, I know he's small. I know he's 5'10", 5'11", I believe. But those numbers were good, and he's entering his age 22 season. So right. I'm, I'm not ready to close the book. No, on I'm not that. closing the book on Gene Pinto, which is why I gil- still give the trade a C. It's just... You know, it's not incredible return. Garrett Stallings was supposed to be the prize yeah. of the return, and and he was not. Well, he had just been drafted yeah. out of Tennessee. Yeah, good college starters seemed to be, you know, reliable and 
just kind of, you knew what you were getting with Garrett Stallings, and it just turned out to not be awesome. Yeah. All right. Now we go into 2021, Brendan. Next deal. And now this is the deal that I believe at the time you rev- you revised your take that the Tommy Malone trade was the best that Michael Elias had ever made, and you said, no, Tommy Malone trade was great. I've got the tattoo. You know, that's always going to be there. Yeah. But I need a new tattoo that says Jemai Jones for Alex Cobb. Yeah. I, I mean, I was all over this trade because Alex Cobb had a 5-10 ERA in three seasons in Baltimore, which is bad. That's not a good ERA, Paul. And then you trade oh, thank him. You. I yeah. wasn't sure. Uh, and then you <laughs> trade him for Jemai Jones, who at the time was a top 10 prospect. He was entering the Orioles system as their best second base prospect at the time. Connor Norby was not yet in the Orioles system. He was the top 10 in the Angels. Top 10 in the Angels system. I believe he was their eighth ranked prospect enters the Orioles system much lower because the Orioles have a much better system. But still, he was the best second-base prospect in the Orioles system. It was pretty much him and Taron Favre right around the same spot. You had to pay $10 million of Cobb's $15 million contracts to the Angels, and then you were paying him to be good for the Angels. He ends up with a 376 ERA there and a 373 ERA with the Giants this past year. At the time, it seemed like you were saving $5 million and getting a guy with an ERA over five off of your roster for Jemai Jones, who had big league potential and was one of, if not the best second base prospect in the system. And it just really didn't work out the way that we thought. No, Jemai Jones, unfortunately, out of the organization, then signed with the Dodgers. Honestly, I lost track of him. I don't even know if he's with the Dodgers anymore. Uh, he was so athletic. He played multiple sports. He was incredibly bright. He was incredibly talented. One of those guys that just could not put it all together. Yeah. And it's frustrating because we see this time and time again. It just never worked out for Jemai Jones. And Alex Cobb did cash in on the potential that he had showed prior to the Orioles signing him. I mean, right. he was so good for the Rays right before they signed him. And they just, just did not get the best years of Alex Cobb. For whatever reason. Yeah, and if you go to his baseball reference page and you look at his career, it seems like the Orioles are just such a weird blip. Yeah, just take out that Orioles stretch. Great in Tampa. Good with the Angels. Good with the Giants. And you're like, what happened in Baltimore? And unfortunately, he did have a lot of injuries. And he did miss some time with injuries in 2021 with the Angels. He only made 18 starts that year, which is, you know, kind of par for the course for somebody who was up there in age. I think he was 34, 33 at the time. Now he's entering his age 35 season. But he cashed in. I mean, he made a, got a two-year, $20 million deal yeah. from the Giants, a team that is very good at developing pitchers. And we were clamoring for Jemai Jones. I mean, the fans yeah. especially. I mean, every time oh, yeah. Jones hit a double in AAA Norfolk, it was like, where is he? Why isn't he the second baseman? Yeah. And he comes up and has an OPS barely over 400. Yeah, because that was the season that Pat Blake, I believe, was getting a lot of starts at, at second yeah. base. Ah, oh, frustrating. Yeah, I, I gave it a D. I mean, at the time, I gave it an A because... Yeah. Again, you were giving up a pitcher with an ERA over five for a good second-base prospect, and it just, yeah, a complete 180. Deadline deal that year, Brendan, 2021. That was sending shortstop Freddie Galvis to the Phillies for righty Tyler Birch. Galvis was hurt at the time of this deal, if you recall. He had been hurt for quite a while, about a month or so. He didn't return until a couple weeks after that trade, then played for the Phillies, that was the last time we've seen him in the big leagues. Yep. He has since signed with the uh, SoftBank Hawks overseas. He's out of American baseball at the time being. He played just 32 games for the Phillies in a, in a season in which they did not make the playoffs. Phillies didn't end up happy, but Tyler Birch has not been great either. Yep. This is a deal that neither team ended up happy. <laughs> the only reason that I give this trade a B is because what ended up happening as a result of trading Freddie Galvis probably, I guess, would have happened given the injury anyway. But the Orioles claim a shortstop by the name of Jorge Mateo. He gets playing time for the rest of that season, becomes the Orioles' everyday shortstop last year, and puts in a great season. So I gave this trade a B because it more or less gave way for the Orioles to be able to start Jorge Mateo at shortstop. It cleared the deck. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. So that's the only reason he gets a good grade. I can see that. Transitive property. Right. It's not like they traded Galvis for Mateo, though. Although, if they had traded Galvis for Mateo, we'd be saying this deal's an A. We'd be saying this deal's an A+. But you never know that if they keep Freddie Galvis, do they still claim Jorge Mateo? Or at the very least, does Mateo get more reps at shortstop? Maybe he gets reps in the outfield if the Orioles still claim him. It worked out the way that the Orioles needed it to with Mateo at shortstop. Yeah, Birch, meanwhile, 25, 540 ERA and 33 appearances for Bowie last year. Yeah, not great. Same same kind of category as Easton Lucas as a struggling reliever in double A. All right, 2022, Brendan. We're into the end game now. Yep. We got the Tanner Scott Cole Sulcer deal. Yep. That was, I believe, now this is this is early and We've been victim, as we've said, of judging these trades too early and giving Michael Elias a win when we look back on this several years later and we say, ah, the prospects didn't pan out quite as well. Right now, this looks like a big, big old dub on Michael Elias' resume. And I will say, Paul, I remember that we went on this podcast and we were much more optimistic about this trade than most were. I mean, Michael Elias was accused of bullying Brandon (laughs) Hyde when this trade happened because it was like, why won't Michael Elias give Brandon Hyde any bullpen arms? Like, you traded Cole Sulcer, who had a great year. You traded Tanner Scott, who had some upside. Days before opening day. Days before opening day. Michael Elias on Twitter.com was accused of bullying Brandon (laughs) Hyde. And this trade turns out to be a big old dub. He wasn't accused of cyberbullying. That made it sound like like Brandon Hyde... No, he was cyberbullied on Twitter. Of just by- taking away Brandon Hyde's good players. But as it turned out, Paul, even after Cole Sulcer had a 270 ERA in 60 games for the O's in 2021, he goes to Miami and, uh, well, kind of has a stinker of a season, a 529 ERA with the Marlins. Tanner Scott, the ERA was worse in Baltimore. It was a 517 ERA in 62 games for the O's in 2021, but had shown upside before that. We know Scott has the good fastball-slider combination. Goes to Miami with a 431 ERA, which is fine. It's not great. Saved 20 of 27 opportunities. And neither of those guys would have been towards the top end of the Orioles' bullpen last year. No. And in return, you get a few minor leaguers who, you know, we don't really know what they're going to be yet. Antonio Velez... The left-handed starter, 614 ERA in 11 games in Bowie last year in his age 25 season. It's not awesome. Kevin Guerrero, 37 games in the FCL last year. But I think the prize was the number 62 overall pick that the Orioles get back, which turns into Judd Fabian, who had an OPS over 1,000 in three levels of the minor leagues last year. Yeah, and is the Orioles' number 17 prospect right now? Yeah, it could be a big leaguer. So that shows that the Orioles, they got the draft pick. We know that they can draft. And we know that they can draft position players. The players they got back, though, in this deal, like you said, not great so far. And it, it, the lot yet to be written about these guys because Guerrero's only 19 years old. I think Velez, he's 26. You can probably close that door. Rivera is the player to be named later. Yaki Rivera. Sorry, Yaki Rivera, yep. a righty. So a lot yet to be said about those guys. But... What Judd Fabian ends up being is going to tell yes the important story of this. Right now, it looks great. But if Judd Fabian flames out, we could be saying, well, Cole Sulcer was actually pretty good for Miami. Right. I mean, with Judd Fabian, you have... Sorry, a- not to- Cole Sulcer. Tanner Scott. Right. Cole Sulcer was not good last year. No, Cole Sulcer was not good. Tanner Scott was fine. Yeah. But even Tanner Scott wouldn't have been one of the better relievers in Baltimore last year. Who knows if he would have kept his spot in the bullpen last year. Meanwhile, Judd Fabian... Very well-established college bat, can play a good defensive center field. Seems like the bat is playing so far. I mean, we'll see what Judd Fabian can do once he starts getting up to levels like double-A Bowie. But as of right now, as you mentioned, he's one of the Orioles' top prospects. He's the 17th prospect in the top 30 right now. He's a good player. He's a good prospect. Is this an A range or a B range for you? It's it's a B plus, just because we don't know what Fabian is going to be. But he has the potential to be a big leaguer. And as we said, Sulcer and Scott, I don't really know where they'd fit in to this Orioles bullpen at this point. I think Cole Sulcer probably would have been on the chopping block last year. I mean, Joey Crable outpitched him last year. Yeah. So, you know, Sulcer might have been on the chopping block and 
Tanner Scott might be fighting for a roster spot if he was still on this team. Another couple guys that might have been better had they stayed in Baltimore because of how good the everybody was in that Orioles bullpen last year. Yep. Maybe the Chris Holt would have done some more better things with them than Miami did. But we have to look at their numbers after they were dealt, and right now it, it looks like the Orioles got the better end of that. Right. The moves since then, that was made right before opening day last year. I don't think we can grade anything after that. We have the the Jorge Lopez to Minnesota deal. We've got the Trey Mancini to Houston deal. We've got the Cole Irvin trade that was just made a couple months ago. I don't think we can grade any of those yet. James we have McCann. James McCann trade. We got to give those incompletes. Yeah. There's You can be excited about the prospects that the Orioles have. I mean, I'm excited to see what Cade Povich is going to do this year. He's been getting a lot of hype this offseason and in spring training. You know, I'm excited to see Seth Johnson when he... He's able to return from Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Chase McDermott has shown some good flashes. You know, obviously McCann and Cole Irvin could be good big league pieces this year that help the Orioles towards a playoff push. So if those things end up happening, then maybe we can come back in a year or so and give those trades a pretty good grade. As of right now, I mean, Jorge Lopez wasn't great in Minnesota. Trey Mancini wasn't awesome in Houston, but they still win a World Series and he you know, makes a great play in the World Series. And even if the numbers weren't awesome, we know how much Trey Mancini brings, you know, to the clubhouse. Like, hard to tell just how much he helped, but, you know, they still got the outcome they wanted. So, hard to grade those deals. But as of right now, they look pretty good. They do. Yeah, they do. Overall, Brendan, your takeaways, after reviewing all these deals and looking at the body of work for Mike Elias in these trades, what are, yeah. your, what are your takeaways for how the Orioles have performed under Mike Elias in terms of making these moves? Surprisingly not awesome, I think is my takeaway. I know that in some of the bigger deals, we have seen success there where, you know, you trade Dylan Bundy and you get a guy like Kyle Bradish back in return. You trade Michael Givens and you get a guy like Taron Vavra back in return. Those trades seem like wins, but there's also just some whiffs in talent evaluation, it seems like. You know, the book is not completely closed on the Kevin Smith deal, as we've mentioned. But Kevin Smith, as of right now, be pretty surprising if he makes the big leagues. Not that you gave up a ton in Miguel Castro, but Kevin Smith was somebody that we were pretty excited about and just you kind of whiffed on. Jemai Jones, the same way. We were very excited when that Jemai Jones traded. I say we, maybe just me. But I was excited. Yeah, I think... There was a lot of optimism around Jemai Jones, and you got the Alex Cobb contract kind of off the books, and then you kind of whiff on Jemai Jones. So there are just some misses on these trades in terms of talent evaluation. You mentioned the Orioles have been fantastic drafting. It's kind of better that they got a draft pick in this Solskjaer-Scott deal because I have a lot more faith in this point in Mike Elias's ability to make a draft pick than to trade for a prospect. Yeah, the... The, the pick is valuable because it is in the right hands. Because right. Michael Elias, we know, is good at drafting, like I said, and developing that, that kind of talent. The good thing is the Orioles have made a, a lot of these moves. They've made a ton of these moves since he took over in 2018. The problem is Michael Elias was not handed a good hand. We've talked about, talked about this a lot on this podcast. He wasn't here for the big fire sale. He, he couldn't trade off. Kevin Gaussman. He couldn't trade off Darren O'Day and Zach Britton and Manny Machado. He right. couldn't make those moves because he was handed a roster that was severely depleted of talent in 2018 and was not handed a whole lot of money and room to work with in terms of signing guys who could be trade pieces. So he had to sign guys on the cheap, like Jose Iglesias, signed pretty cheap. You know, Andrew Kashner, his, his contract was already on the books. Alex Cobb's contract was already on the books when the Orioles uh, had to make those moves. So Michael Elias wasn't able to sign anybody that he could trade. So he was handed a difficult set of circumstances, and I think he tried to make the most of them. It's just frustrating now to look at this body of work and to say, who are the best players from this? Kyle Bradish, that the Orioles got back in all of these moves. Kyle Bradish, I think, is the best prospect that they ever got back in any of these trades. Second is maybe Taron Vavra. Yeah, I'd probably say Taron Vavra. Who's third? Judd Fabian? It may be Judd Fabian. I mean, I think you could make an argument for Kyle Brinovich or Zach Peake since they've had, 
you know, pretty good flashes and we haven't seen Fabian at a high... I'd probably say Fabian, I, I guess, yeah. And, and I, I don't want to shortchange the guys who are still young, the guys who are 21 years old. Right. Like your Isaac De Leon's or, you know... Gene Pinto. Gene Pinto is 22. I don't want to close the book on those guys because the Orioles acquired a lot of recent international signees who are years and years away from the big leagues. So those guys, one of those guys could come up and be a good big league player, but you have to keep making these deals because the Orioles had to improve the depth of their farm system somehow. It's just the Orioles have turned their farm system into the best farm system in all of baseball. They've made this incredible talent pipeline, but you look at how all those guys were acquired and almost all of them were acquired via the draft. Right. I thought a few more of these guys might have been acquired via trade, but almost every guy was acquired via the draft or the international free agent market. Yeah, and I really don't think you have to look further than the group of Kevin Smith, Garrett Stallings, and Jemai Jones. Those are three guys that we had reason to be optimistic about. They were all in the Orioles' top 30 at one point, and they have either kind of flamed out in the minor leagues or in the case of Jemai Jones... They get to the big leagues and just really didn't give you much of anything. Yeah. That's that's pretty disappointing given the optimism that we had for them when they were acquired. So then going forward, I, I think unless things go really sideways this season or next, the Orioles aren't going to make a move like this where they send out a quality big leaguer in exchange for several prospects for a while. Right. I think the moves that they're going to be making are closer to the Cole Irvin trade where they're trading prospects to get a big leaguer. Is Mike Elias going to be better at making those kind of moves than he has been at sending out a big leaguer and getting back prospects? Well, you kind of have to be, right? I mean, if you're not, then you're in a really bad spot because part of the reason that you build such a good farm system is, of course, to develop those guys and just keep them in-house at the big league level. But part of it is so that you have the depth to trade from. We saw it with Daryl Hernandez as the Orioles what, fifth best shortstop prospect in the system? You're able to move Hernandez, who becomes a solid prospect in the ace system, for Cole Irvin, who is a well-established big league pitcher. If Cole Irvin doesn't help you this year and Daryl Hernandez turns into a big leaguer down the line, that's a miss. Yeah, it all comes down to talent evaluation. Right. And, and it's tough to evaluate talent. talent. I know that's not in your system, that you're watching other teams' tape or you're scouting other teams' games. But that's the job. You have to be able to evaluate the kind of talent that other teams have when right. you make these deals. And the draft evaluation has been great, but the trade evaluation leaves a little yeah. room to be desired. And, and I don't want to make it sound like the Orioles have to bat a 1,000 for Michael Elias to be considered successful. Right. N there's a 0% chance all of these trades were going to work out. Right. And that the Orioles were going to get every good prospect they wanted and all those guys were going to be big leaguers. But you just would hope to have a, a few more pieces like Bradish, like Fabian, in your system right now that came via trade. And right now the Orioles don't have that. And you'd measure the last few years by the wins. You would measure it by Bradish, Vavra, and Fabian rather than Smith, Stallings, and Jones. But you just wish that maybe smith was in the first category right. or jones was in the first category you just had another hit or two somewhere when some of these trades just didn't really work out the good thing is michael Elias has been an a plus in terms of drafting yes. we know that but it's drafting it's trades it's free agency it's international free agency there are so many things that go into this well here's a question for you as we wrap up Given the trades that we have talked about today, what is your overall grade for Michael Elias? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. I mean, I asked first. Oh, you did. Yeah. C plus? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say a B minus. He's an A plus drafter. Yeah. No question. Yeah. I mean, the, the trades that we've evaluated here, you know, if Cade Povich turns into the Orioles' number three starter for the next five years, yeah, I mean, you'd bump that grade up and, you know, we can determine the last few trades here over the next few seasons. But given the trades that we've evaluated today, I'd probably say B minus. Yeah. Maybe a B, but probably closer to a B minus. It's also crazy you, that the best player that they probably sent out in a trade was Mike Ustremski. Maybe Alex Cobb? Yeah. I mean, Mike Ustremski 
drags this trade, which is crazy down because he was the one of the first moves that Michael Elias ever made, and it seemed inconsequential, right? And he, I mean, you got nothing for him because right. the trade seemed so irrelevant, exactly. And yet, there's Mike Yastrzemski as a very good outfielder for the Giants, exactly. Well, we'll see. I saw a lot of comments in on YouTube and Facebook as we were live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. about who the Orioles going to trade for Corbin Burns. Yeah. Were they going to trade for any of these pitchers? They would have to trade a whole lot. And for Corbin Burns is the answer. Yeah, and I think we have this conversation now, too, because I think there's a good chance over the next two weeks that the Orioles still make a move or two. They could. Via trade, and they acquire somebody. So we'll see what Michael Elias has up his sleeve, Brendan. I think maybe on the next podcast or so, we should uh, draft the Orioles roster. Something yeah. we did two years ago. We didn't do last year, but take all the guys on the 40-man, add in a couple of their minor leaguers who aren't in the 40-man, and, and draft this team. Yeah. What do you think? Sounds fun. All right. We'll flip a coin to see who gets the first overall pick. Let's just hope I don't draft Pat Vileko over Cedric Mullins again. Ooh, ooh, what a miss. Yeah. That was a tough look. Yeah. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. Of course, please rate, review, subscribe. Do all of that good stuff. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube as well. Share this with your friends. All that word of mouth is appreciated as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.